Hello, friends. Ooh, what happened to my voice there? Whatever. Welcome to episode 1,122 of the Juicebox podcast. When you go to the doctor with back pain, you don't expect to leave with diabetes. But that's what happened to Doug. He was diagnosed two years ago, and today we're going to find out all about it. I have a note here for myself to call this episode Zinc Transporter. I wonder what that's about. I really don't remember. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. Don't forget to save 40% off of your entire order at CozyEarth.com. All you have to do is use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. That's JUICEBOX at checkout to save 40% at CozyEarth.com. When you place your first order for AG1 with my link, you'll get five free travel packs and a free year's supply of vitamin D. Drink AG1.com slash JUICEBOX. Don't forget to check out the JUICEBOX podcast private group public page, Instagram account, and TikTok. It's all at Juicebox Podcast. You'll find it. You know how to search. If you've been listening and enjoying, but you aren't subscribed or following in an audio app, oi vey mir, you have to. Follow and subscribe. How did you like my Yiddish? I don't think it was good. Today's episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter. This is the meter that my daughter has on her person right now. It is incredibly accurate and waiting for you at contournext.com slash juicebox. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. My name's Doug. I'm 41 from Central Jersey, and uh, I was diagnosed about two years ago with type 1. I don't usually like to do this, Doug, but could you and I be doing this in person? We probably could. Uh, I'm near like the Pennsylvania border. I moved. I'm from North Jersey, but mm-hmm. I kind of got tired of like that super fast paced, very angry sort of <laughs> sort of vibe up there. So I moved down to like central uh, about a year and a half ago and I'm loving it. There's like I got a bison farm down the street. You would never think this was Jersey. It's crazy. People make fun of New Jersey. I got to be honest. I guess it's because of all the pharmaceutical companies, but I don't I don't <laughs> I don't know why it's gorgeous here. They don't know this area. I think they think of like the the Turnpike, like Newark Airport, you know, all that kind of stuff. This yeah. is like they would never think this is Jersey. So it's like a little hidden gem. Yeah, no kidding. Do you ever think just going a little farther into Pennsylvania and saving all the taxes? You know, it's funny you say that. I've been I've been looking at that exact thing because they just keep raising the rent because they tell me that like a lot of people keep moving here from the north, mm-hmm. and so the demand is just getting busier and busier. And so I I was just looking in like Allentown to see, you know, the price and the, the prices are significantly lower. Well, the, and the taxes are significantly lower too. My wife and I are getting out of here AS as possible. The one thing I would say is you got to watch out for the roads over there though. There's potholes everywhere. It's like your car might explode, <laughs> yeah, but you'd be yeah. paying less taxes. I could, lo- I could, I could uh, regain tax money and then lose it again on an axle. You're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's incredibly interesting because what you just said, people come from the North. The North is basically people who work in the city. Mm-hmm. Those people make exorbitant amounts of money. Yeah. And then they move a little south and they see a house that's, you know, a million dollar house. And they go, oh, my God, 
I didn't know this was going to be so cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, my house is not worth nearly this much, <laughs> but I'd be, yeah. I'd be happy to sell it to you. Yeah, that would be, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. It happened a ton during, uh, I knew a realtor that during COVID made his lifetime during COVID because oh, because he was so busy you mean oh because new yorkers were coming down south buying two hundred thousand dollar houses for eight nine hundred thousand dollars because they wanted to get out of the city that badly and the money didn't mean anything to them that's amazing yeah yeah people in the rest of the country right now are like what the hell i know yeah yeah it's it's (laughs) also keep in mind that a bagel in new york city is fifteen dollars so you got to make a lot of money if you want to live there did you live i think good what was that? I was just going to ask, did you live right in the city or were you in Jersey? I was in Jersey. I was in uh, Hackensack in Bloomfield. Okay. So just close enough to like pay all the prices, but then not really close enough to like do fun stuff in the city very easily or <laughs> date people in the city. So it's kind of just the worst <laughs> of all worlds. And I was like, I don't need this. Were you there for work? Well, I work for a hospital system in North Jersey, so I was there, but like most of my job, I have a couple jobs, but most my day job is mostly remote, so I didn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more just like my family is there, like my brother, sister, mom, and, and dad and stuff. Uh, so I had just been there kind of my whole life, but I was never really happy there. And I had a couple of friends that actually lived down in this area, and they used to come here on weekends, and I was like, this is like a vacation. Yeah. And so, you know, I just rent, I don't own anything. So when my, my lease was up, I was like, you know what, screw it. Let me just try something. And, uh, I will say I'm happy I did it. It's just, my friends give me a hard time because I'm 41 and I'm single. And they're like, so you moved to a, an area from an area with like all the people you could ever meet to an area with no single women. And so like, they call that like a Doug decision. It's <laughs> illogical that I do. And so, well, yeah. Doug, when you're more relaxed and have extra money, the ladies will flock to you. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope that's the case. <laughs> and don't forget to go outside, or that won't happen. By the way, uh, but you have to. Um, no, you're right. I have so I have two thoughts, and then we'll move on. One, sure. anyone who's ever heard my friend Adam Nadelman on the show, who's a who's a pediatrician, mm-hmm. would finish this episode. Really put Doug's voice in your head. Then go listen to Adam. Like, okay, you guys have a very kind of classic Jersey accent. Do we really? Yeah, you and he sound almost exactly alike. It's freaking me out, actually. I'm going to definitely listen to that, because I feel like I've listened to almost all your episodes, and that one doesn't ring a bell, so I'm going to go back and check it out. I swear to God. it's He He was on talking about a couple of things over the years. One time it was COVID. I don't know how much of that will even be accurate now, because it was like as COVID was happening, and people were like, what okay. should I do? But it's just uh, <laughs> fascinating. Anyway, I'm going to try. That is not, interesting. I'm going to try not to call you Adam while we're doing this. That's that's <laughs> my goal. I won't take offense yeah. if you do. <laughs> Twenty five years ago, the other thing I want to tell you is that my wife got a job in Manhattan. She, we never lived in Manhattan. She didn't stay in Manhattan very long. She didn't like it. We looked at an apartment there. We were kids, you know. And um, the apartment, I, I don't know a way to say this. If you put a a king size bed in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. There may have been a foot and a half at the foot of the bed to the wall <laughs> and three and three feet on one side of the bed to the door. And the other side would have been up against the wall. Oh my goodness. And, and then you'd walk out into another room that was a little larger than that, that encompassed your living space and a kitchen where the toilet was in the kitchen. <laughs> And 25 years ago, that apartment cost $1,100 a month. 25 years ago. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And my wife and I grew up in the suburbs. We were like, we are not doing this. And wait, so we left. How long did you live there for? We never moved into the city. We could not bring ourselves to spend that money. Okay. For that same amount of money, we bought a condominium in New Jersey. Wow. And we were like in our early 20s. I can't believe that that long ago it cost that much. Yeah. No, it was insane. And then, by the way, the condo appreciated like two years later and we bugged out and made money. So you don't, you're not, you don't regret that you, uh, you didn't move in there. I think I'd be broke living in that apartment still. And my children would be feral. That's what I was concerned about. <laughs> so I think you're right. You might've like torn an ACL trying to get out of bed at some point too. Cause there's just no room. Absolutely insane. Anyway, it was, it was Holy cow. the craziest thing. Um, and now yeah. listen, now apartments are overpriced. My son's in oh, yeah. my son's in Atlanta now. He won't be there very long, so I can tell you that because by the time I you hear this, he'll probably be gone. Uh, but mm-hmm. his apartment is thirteen hundred dollars a month, and it's probably three times as big as the one in New York that Kelly and I saw those years ago. And uh-huh. I'm still going to tell you, his apartment's incredibly overpriced. Yeah, I I can relate. My mine is too. It's the same deal. It's just. I don't uh, they know. actually increased mine last year by like 600 bucks just out of nowhere. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what can you do? But yeah, it's, it's tough. Well, I'll tell you that. I mean, Cole's not, you know, he's not raking it in or anything like that. And still we're putting him in touch with a financial planner to try to get him to a point where he can own a house because wow. otherwise, I mean, 15, 13, 14, 1500 is going to go to 3000 in his lifetime. You know what I mean? Oh, I think that's a great advice if you guys can help him do that early on. Yeah. So I don't know what how it's going to work out because, like I said, he's not making that much money. But I figured, like, put him in that direction. Maybe he'll figure it out as he gets older. You know. You know, I was wondering because I, I listened to all your stuff, so I know he's done with baseball. Is he is he missing like kind of a, having a competitive outlet, or, or did he find something new to do as a you know an athletic pursuit? He is playing pickup basketball in the city. Oh. Cool. Yeah. So he um, he's in a really tough situation. Like he's home right now just for a couple of days. So it's the all star break while we're recording this. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he had a few days off and then he tacked on a couple of days to it and made himself like a little five day break where he could come home. Oh, nice. So what I'll tell you is that he moved to Atlanta to take a job and it was a job that's going to build his resume. It's great experience. I mean, you couldn't have turned it down if you were him coming out of college. But he moved to a place where he's completely and utterly by himself. Like that's hard. Yeah. And so his buddies are all still here. They're all still getting together. He's watching them over like text chains, like do things. And he is like, he's by himself and he gets to the job is not surprising to me, but over producing for them. So Mm -hmm. they move him out of the job that he was brought there and give him a higher up job. But because of that, his schedule is completely different than all of the other people his age that came into the company. If you take insulin or sulfonylureas, you are at risk for your blood sugar going too low. You need a safety net when it matters most. Be ready with Gvoke HypoPen. My daughter carries Gvoke HypoPen everywhere she goes because it's a ready-to-use rescue pen for treating very low blood sugar in people with diabetes ages 2 and above that I trust. Low blood sugar emergencies can happen unexpectedly, and they demand quick action. Luckily, GivoKypopen can be administered in two simple steps, even by yourself in certain situations. 
show those around you where you store Jivok Hypopen and how to use it. They need to know how to use Jivok Hypopen before an emergency situation happens. Learn more about why Jivok Hypopen is in Arden's Diabetes Toolkit at jivokglucagon.com slash juicebox. Jivok shouldn't be used if you have a tumor in the gland on the top of your kidneys called a pheochromocytoma, or if you have a tumor in your pancreas called an insulinoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk for safety information. The Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter is the meter that we use here. Arden has one with her at all times. I have one downstairs in the kitchen, just in case I want to check my blood sugar. And Arden has them at school. They're everywhere that she is. Contournext.com slash juicebox. Test strips and the meters themselves may be less expensive for you in cash out of your pocket than you're paying currently through your insurance for another meter. You can find out about that and much more at my link, contournext.com slash juicebox. Contour makes a number of fantastic and accurate meters, and their second chance test strips are absolutely my favorite part. What does that mean? If you go to get some blood and maybe you touch it and, I don't know, stumble with your hand and like slip off and go back, it doesn't impact the quality or accuracy of the test. So you can hit the blood, not get enough, come back, get the rest without impacting the accuracy of the test. That's right. You can touch the blood, come back and get the rest, and you're going to get an absolutely accurate test. I think that's important because we all stumble and fumble at times. That's not a good reason to have to waste a test strip. And with the Contour Next Gen, you won't have to. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. You're going to get a great reading without having to be perfect. So wow. even the people he met at work, his, his schedule doesn't line up with them. And it's like a result of working so hard because that was like his main focus because he was kind of by himself. I, I think it's a result of he's the really bright kid. He picked it up really fast and they saw that they had brought him in for like a low level task. And they were like, we can give him a lot more to do. So he was supposed to go down there and kind of have like this, you know, vagabond lifestyle where he'd show up at work at like two in the afternoon and work till 10 at night or show up at five and work till midnight. And then the next day it might be like 1 p.m. till 8 p.m. It was going to be all yeah. over the place. He's going to work a couple of baseball games every day, like pro games. And instead they gave him an office task that needs to be com partially completed before the day starts. So my, oh, wow. my 23 year old son who's never had a job before is getting up at five o'clock in the morning, starting <laughs> at six and he's done it too. So wow. not only is he exhausted when he gets home because he is not going to bed to get up at five o'clock in the morning, but he gets home. Everyone else is working all night that he knows and he's by himself in this apartment. So, yeah, that does suck, but he's going to, I mean, it's such good experience at the same time. It's a double-edged sword, I guess. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like I know that and he's going to get out of there. I'm actually taking him to the airport later today where I'm going to, I'm going to talk to him before he goes and just tell him like, look, it's almost over. You know, yeah. it was like, it was like a year posting the job and he's got enough experience now that he can look for something closer to home that, you know, will, will again, build onto his experience. He's like, I can't stay here. He's like, they're not going to yeah. move me up fast enough. And I'm now just doing a task. So, well, it's amazing that he's, he's done it. And like, that's kind of in the past now. And no matter what he does in the future, he can be like, yeah, I started off busting my ass. Yeah. The, um, that's really cool. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. As to your initial question, 
because Cole is such a task oriented person, he was playing baseball to play more baseball. And gotcha. so when playing more baseball wasn't a goal. And I do, I do honestly mean like he, he wanted to, you know, he was trying to diversify his talents and he was pitching at the end. And like I, I guess I've said it on here before, but his fastball was up to like 92, 93 miles an hour. Was uh, it really? Yeah. And, but he just was never like, you know, he, his story is, is, is simple. He grew late. He, he grew the rest of the way in college. So yeah. when he was recruiting, he looked small. He looked really skilled and small. And so a lot of places passed on him. He ended up going to a smaller school because of that. And then in his freshman year, pops up, gets more height and puts on a bunch of weight. And so, uh, so, so people yeah. don't see it as much. Right. And so now all of a sudden he's six feet tall. He's carrying 200 pounds while he's playing. He's pumping up baseball like crazy. And, um, nobody sees him. He's in the middle of nowhere at a little school. Mm-hmm. And, wow. and, and then the politics come in and then kids whose parents make a donation to something are standing in your position while you're sitting on the bench. Cause nobody cares about baseball here. It's not a mm-hmm. thing. And, and then he's starting to talk about like, well, maybe I should transfer, but he's also a really good student and a bright kid. And he's taking a, a tough degree that you can't just get anywhere. So while we were trying to figure out putting him in the portal and getting him somewhere where he could actually continue that degree, but play better baseball, COVID happened. Oh yeah. And so then, just awful timing. And then they shut down college sports. So while everyone else was sitting around, Cole was training on his own and continuing to get better and better. And then they came back for his junior year, but they came back to this abbreviated like 12 game season. And he said, if I go back for that, I lose a year of my eligibility and I only play 12 games. So I'm going to go back as a senior, play a full season and then hold two years of college eligibility afterwards. Except then during that time he got hurt. Oh, got it. Then he had to spend all that time coming back from being hurt. And by the time he came back from being hurt, he got to play half of his senior season where he was electric, like amazing. And then it ended and he didn't have enough time on the field to attract somebody at a big enough place to make it feel mm-hmm. worth his while. So all of the um, grad school offers he got were still at, they were medium sized schools now. Like they looked at him on tape and they were like, yes, please. And then they'd be like, <laughs> send your stats. And then he's like, look, I only played like half the season. And then they're like, oh, that's not enough stats for us to go on. And he's like, well, there it is. Really? On the, he's like, here's the video. I recorded everything I did for half a season. And he just couldn't get interest in a place where he thought he had an opportunity. And so, and so then the rest of this is, I can't believe we're talking about this dog. One day he'll hear this <laughs> when I'm dead and he'll be like, that is what happened. Um, yeah. So then he starts looking for jobs out of college, decides I'm not going to go play in grad school. And he's trying to get jobs in major league baseball, which eventually becomes obvious. He just doesn't have enough experience for that they're hiring Mm -hmm. even at really low level people are being hired with a lot of experience so so he's like well i'm gonna have to go get the experience but before he figured that out he had applied and had moved through three rounds with the phillies he had moved through something with the yankees he was in the middle of moving through something with the tampa bay rays when they gave him a task to do on his own okay And, and the task that the rays gave him was look at the rule five draft coming up 
and pick a pitcher and a position player that you think we should take in the Rule 5 draft. Oh, wow. So Cole has to examine the entire league, you know, by stats and his own theories. He comes up with his options for them. He turns them in. He actually ends up choosing the position player that they took in the Rule 5 draft. Oh, that's cool. Which was amazing, but didn't matter. They didn't contact him about the job. But the thing that did that wasn't happen. enough of like a successful, yes, successful task completion. Well, no, because he's 23 and he didn't have any experience. And they're literally hiring guys in their 30s who have been piling up experience in other sectors in data. And then, yeah, yeah, it's just they, it's a cream of a crop situation. There are 500 people applying for like an entry level job that pays $15 an hour. And so, like, they just have too many options. So, anyway, that's what he figured out when he went and got this job. But while he was doing that thing for the Rays, he, like, kind of called me over one day. And he said, hey, look at all these pitchers. And he laid them out in front of me. And he's like, they throw just as hard as I do. And I'm like, right. He goes, they're my size. He's like, some of them are taller. But I, I have an, I'm carrying enough body. I'm like, right. Mm-hmm. He goes, they all throw secondary pitches as well as I do. And I'm like, right. He's like, I've been looking at video of them, like, all this stuff. Um, and he goes, and nobody cares about them. They're on a trash heap and they're already in the league. And I was, wow. and I'm like, right. He goes, I don't have a chance. And I said, I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm a dad. I'm like, I don't know. Cole doesn't yeah. mean you don't have a chance. Like blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, you know, if he's listening back to this, then I'm gone and he misses me and he's 40 years old. Like, Cole, you probably didn't have a chance, you, you know, but I wouldn't have told him that if he wanted to go do more training, I would have helped him do that. Like all that stuff. Like yeah. I, I didn't have, I have a tiny bit of success in my life. Part of what I do with it is I allow my kids to follow their heart, you know? Oh, that's really refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, the problem ends up being is that he's so like intellect, like his, in, the way his intellect works, he suddenly was like, oh, there's no path with an ending that I desire. And that then just immediately became not an option to him anymore. What an interesting way to, come about that like yeah he saw it himself and kind of acknowledged it that's really interesting i thought i it's one of the more proud moments i've had as a parent that i've never even said out loud to anybody like he wow. yeah he and he and it's not that he didn't miss baseball but he just said okay well then i w- i can't waste my time doing this thing that doesn't have a real opportunity to work out it's such a healthy way to yeah like appro- approach it Good job by him. Yeah, no kidding. It was crazy. And and I spent a little bit of your time telling that story because I think that's that's the that's the podcast story right there. Like, you know, understanding and not beating like it, he's not wasn't not willing to do the work. He wasn't not willing to take a risk. He was not willing to put that much effort into something that had such a a low chance of working out. That's and, that's really great. Yeah. So anyway, thanks to the Tampa Bay Rays. I appreciate it. Well, nice job by you by uh, instilling that like ability in him. You know, oh, not know. everybody can recognize that kind of thing. So something you did raising him taught him to think that way. So that's cool. I have no idea, man. But I was just like, I was heartbroken, by the way, because I watched it come over his face. Yeah. Like, and I don't mean about baseball. Like I watched him realize, oh, there's a thing I love and it's not going to work out. I hear you. Yeah, it was really something. So um, yeah. anyway. You got diabetes, huh, Doug? How'd that happen? Diabetes. <laughs> uh, you want my my diagnosis story? Yeah, please. Sure. Um, well, everybody's interesting. So, like, I remember it's funny because I remember when I signed up for this, 
it was like what a year ago or something and i haven't had this very long so it was all so new at the time but um i so i'm 41 and when i was uh i guess 35 i started on a career change so i am a web developer right now and i still am full-time but i went to i started going to school on weekends for uh, occupational therapy and um it was like a three or a four-year program and i had to do a bunch of prereqs and uh, I was working myself because I was working like crazy at my day job. And then I would study during all the weeknights and then I would go to school on Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. Hmm. And that kind of progressed for three years. And then I had to eventually, when I graduated the academic part of my my program, I had to quit my day job and do uh, an internship, like a clinical internship, two different spots for three months each. So I, I'm going through all this stuff and it's just really stressful. I'm a, I'm a pretty anxious person as it is. And so uh, I also was really just trying to do a very good job because for years I had been struggling. Like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, I'm a very, I like to help people and I, I never really felt like I was doing enough of it. And that's kind of where the return to school came from. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to screw this up. I'm going to really bust my ass and, and do well. So I put a lot of pressure on myself. And so long story short, I eventually graduated and I took a job in the Bronx and uh, I was working at Montefiore. And it's like, <laughs> I was commuting from, like I said, North Jersey into the Bronx every day, which is stressful in of itself. And then I'm working in a hospital and just seeing some crazy stuff and putting all my experience to work. And I'm loving it because I'm like finally getting a chance to help people. And I'm doing this really important, sometimes scary stuff. But that's when I start to get really sick. And so, you know, I don't know anything about diabetes at the time. I started actually having like a backache because as a therapist, a lot of what you're doing is getting people out of bed in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't lift these people. Like I'm going to fall over and then I'm going to make them more injured. So I eventually go to the doctor for a back, a back issue, thinking I'm just going to get some pills or whatever. And I, I go take a urine test. She sees my results and she sends me right to the emergency room. And then I, you know, I have like a 800 blood sugar and they tell, they don't tell me that I'm a DK because I end up going home that same day. But I remember like the, uh, the, the emergency room doctor being like, oh, you don't have diabetes because, you know, I was in shape uh, and I didn't realize it. I had like lost a bunch of weight by this point, maybe like 20 or 30 pounds. And um, long story short with that part is they end up diagnosing with type two. And so this is, I had just gone through school, switched my career and I'm doing this new thing, but now I'm like, okay, I got a health issue. So I'm doing something wrong. So I try to get my diet even better. It, it already was like really, really good. I try to start exercising like crazy, which I already did. And it's, I'm not getting better. In fact, like my vision starts to go, I lose more weight. I'm about 215 right now. And I was down to like 160. Mm. And I was just, I felt hard. I, it was funny because like at first I'm like, oh, I'm getting ripped. <laughs> but then I was like, okay, this is this is not right. Um, so I had to, it was really kind of defeating because I had done all this work to get a new degree and start a new career and, and essentially start a new life. And what I came to the conclusion was of was that at least with the new career, I, I couldn't, couldn't do it and maintain my health because part of it was like the routine was very inconsistent. Like I, I didn't really have time to like eat at a consistent basis. Uh, I was really, really stressed and I knew that was affecting it. And like, I would always check my blood sugar via finger stick and it was just like way too high. I'm like, I'm eating salads. Like, what is this? Yeah. So I went on like that for three years and then I, so I had left that job. I had gone back to my old career. I was just doing rehab part-time. And then about, I guess it was a year and a half or two years ago, I had another uh, A1C check. And again, like my diet had been unbelievable and I was exercising like crazy. And at that point I was so healthy, like 
my my routine was so healthy that I wasn't even checking blood sugars because I was like, how could it be bad? And so I went back to get an A1C and it was 12. Ooh. And that's when they were like, all right, we're giving you the antibody test. And so Doug, how how long how long was that before you tell me about the antibody test? How long from you couldn't pick people up in the hospital till now in this story? Three years. Were you lauded, um, do you think at least? Yeah, I think so. Um I was I found like a dietitian and I switched my whole diet around because again, like thinking that it was type two, there was periods in there that I had good A1Cs, like sixes. But um I've always been such a structured, rigid person with all that stuff. So it was just very weird. And then I guess the lot of thing I was thinking also, because when I, when I ended up getting the antibody tests, like the first one was negative because I think the first one they do, there's like five antibodies. And the first one that they typically do, cause it's a little bit more affordable. is like GAD 65 and whatever the other ones are that are right. more common. Yep. And so I was negative for those. So like, all right, what's going on? So then they gave me the one for like, uh, I think it's zinc transporter. And I did have that one. And then they gave me the C peptide test and I was like 0.5. So like, okay, you have, you have type one or, you know, adult onset type one. Mm. So yeah, so it was, you know, it was annoying because I was like, well, why couldn't I have gotten this test years ago? And then now I advocate very strongly for all of that with anybody that I know that has even somewhat relatable symptoms. It just makes no sense. That they don't test that stuff right up front. But yeah, I remember, I remember when I first got the, uh, the positive zinc thing. I can remember just being like on Google all day long, being like looking for outs, you know, being like, is there any way that this doesn't mean I have type one? Like, could it just be a false positive? Could I just somehow get by without needing insulin? Cause I was terrified of being type one. Yeah. Cause I was like, you know, it's a big, it's a big shift. And, uh, I don't know if I'm rambling or not, but no, is this okay I, so far? I'm enjoying it. Don't, don't, don't worry okay. about that. You're doing terrific. And you named the episode. What's that? You don't know. No, <laughs> it's totally going to be called zinc transporter. I like that. That's I amazing. Like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me think of that bald guy in those movies that like, oh my God, what are those transporter well, movies? <laughs> I am a bald guy. So that works. This is perfect. Doc. The transporter <laughs> yeah, movies with, uh, what is his name? Oh, Statham. Yes. Jason Statham. That's exactly what I thought of when you said it. I was like, that's fantastic. <laughs> All right. I like that association. I can work with that. <laughs> um, well, give me a second though. So, Sure. Three years. You have yeah. you have type one diabetes for three years and you're salading and exercising your way through it. So obviously it's a lot of because it hasn't hit you would you would have been dead by now. Like like do yeah. You, yeah. So you're you're getting some help from your pancreas. Are they giving you any medication? Do they have you on metformin or anything like that? I was on metformin and glipizide for a while. Okay. Mis and unbelievable amounts of exercise. Like I'm talking like even after eating a salad, I can remember like going to the bathroom of work and just doing squats until I feel like I had to sit down because I was so exhausted. And, uh, you know, like a couple mile walks after lunch and stuff. And I remember like coming back and checking my blood sugar and I'm like 250. Like, how is this even possible? I didn't eat more than 10 carbs. So it was driving me crazy. So I was like, on the one hand, I was devastated that I, you know, had the positive antibodies. But on the other, I was like, well, at least I actually know that it's going to help. Like yeah. I need it. My body's yeah. just not making it, but it wasn't any easier. And then, you know, at first I got the, uh, it was just basil for maybe a month and, uh, I had a bunch of lows. Cause you know, you're super sensitive when you just start on insulin. It's like your body, like, it's like, Oh, what's this mm -hmm. insulin? Like now I can actually like process all this stuff. Like, let me just do it really, really well. So I felt like I couldn't even move at first because, you know, taking a, 
a 20 foot walk felt like it was going to bring me love. So I'm saying you were miserable during this time, right? Like physically completely miserable. I mean, I, I, I could not see I've had LASIK and I went back to glasses and even with glasses, like I couldn't see a thing, you know, I, you know, the thing is that drives me the most crazy is a, I was, I was going to the bathroom all the time, but the biggest thing is like the hunger. I've heard other people on your podcast talk about it. It's like this insatiable hunger because when your body has no insulin, like it can't process the nutrients that you're eating. So you're never satisfied. Mm -hmm. So you just eat and eat and eat. And it's like this, this pain in the pit of your stomach that just can't be resolved and it's awful you can't sleep i couldn't even think straight because i was so freaking hungry all the time and that actually you know it's hard to not eat the wrong things when you're starving also so yeah it was miserable you started this whole like story by telling me you're anxious so yeah has that gotten any better since you're on insulin well it's funny you say that i would say no but i understand it better it's you know, with Dexcom and all that stuff, you get a really good insight into like what hormones and behavioral things are doing to your body. And I see significant spikes from, from, from stress or like, as an example, uh, like I've even like, like even the news affects me like really, really bad. So I've tried to like isolate myself from a lot of things because like it's, I just like, you can see the cortisol spike, you know, you see something on the news and all of a sudden you're, you're going straight up two hours and I thought, geez. So I've, I've made a lot of lifestyle behavioral adjustments to sort of manage now that I, I know my body a lot better. Yeah. But it, it was in that first few months where you're just like, you, you go through, I think the stages of grief really. Cause you're just like, all right, my old life's over. Like I can't just do whatever I want. I have to depend on this thing. I think that was the thing. It's like depending on this external substance is a little bit scary to like tie your own life to something that you need a prescription for. Yeah. It's just a weird mental shift, but I had some really good uh, connections at first that actually led me to the podcast. So the first one was um, my sister's fiance or his, his brother is a, an, a pediatric endo at CHOP. And so I spoke to him and he kind of just gave me the lay of the land. He's like, you're, look, you're going to need mealtime insulin, not the end of the world. You're going to eventually going to want to pump. Just kind of gave me a, a sense of like what to do or what to expect. Mm-hmm. He also gave me, the name of this guy that was starting this like meditation group for people with type one. And I joined that and that actually really helped me. It's like a zoom based meditation. Nice. And then I think I found, I think I found your podcast on my own because I am, like I said, I was doing a ton of research on like type one. And once I eventually accepted the fact that I did have it, I was like, all right, well, I need to learn about this because you know, I like science and I, I like understanding what's going on. So I eventually found your podcast and it was, it really was like a savior at first. I was binging it just, binging it just episode after episode, because I think the information you find online is scary and it's like clinical and dry. And so you need like a voice to it. And especially hearing other people that have it, you know, to learn about what, what they've experienced. And also like the way that, that you and Jenny talk about how to do certain things like mechanically was really helpful. Cause that's not information I got from my endo. So I had that, your little intro song was like the most comforting thing ever back when I first got diagnosed, I would just like that song would come on and be like, I would feel like my heart rate drop a little bit and like in a good way. So, oh, wow. so thank you for that. Cause it made a gigantic difference. And I feel like I'm an expert in type one now, I feel like, and I, I think it's a lot, you know, to thank for your podcast uh, as I'm what glad. started it. And now I try to tell everybody I meet about it. And I try to also share the information. Cause I just think it's wild that it, it just should be default info, like type one diagnosis, 
find the podcast. But, yeah. you know, the endo should give you the podcast link. I'm with that. So, yeah, so I would like them to do that. Well, you're very welcome. I, I really do appreciate that. You It was touching to hear you say that, honestly. I actually made me think of a woman who told me recently that she finds my voice soothing, which I told my wife, and my wife laughed. She's like, I hear you talk, and I get pretty <laughs> upset. I'm like, okay. Uh, but um, But I didn't understand it. And I think you maybe just gave me more context into what she told me. It's comforting. And how did how did you come up with that little intro song? Did you do that yourself? I met a man who worked in social media for a pharma company back when I was writing a blog about diabetes. He was the first person to tell to tell me that I was a caregiver. Like he he said, he's like, we're interested in you because you're a, a caregiver of a person with type one. I never even thought of myself that way, like just mm -hmm. in, in that tone. And uh, I think I ended up at some pharma meeting one time for bloggers and I got to meet him and I learned that he played music. And many, many years later, when I was making the podcast, I thought, oh, I want theme music. I wonder if Rob couldn't make me theme music. And I contacted him and he said, would you mind if I did it with my daughter? And she was like, gosh, she was like eight or nine at that time. She's in college now. It's crazy. Wow. And so his, he sat down with his daughter and they made the theme music together. That's awesome. Yeah. And she picked, she picked the beats and stuff like that. And they put, they put it together. He made a little ad bed for me and some outro music. And then I think like five or six years later, I sent him another email. And I was like, can you update this for me? And they sat down and they did it again and they updated it. And it's what it is now. I actually That's was awesome. just thinking for a thousand episodes. I wonder, like, I wonder if I should update the, the music again. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I love it. No, I won't touch it then, Doug. I'm, I'm on on <laughs> you. Save me, save me time and money just now. Is what you did. You know what it is? I think you like, at least for me and maybe for other people, you, you look for like some like constant that's like a reassuring, like comforting place where you can get information that's helpful. And like that's what the podcast was. And I think that's what the music like cued my brain into. It's like, all right, this is like a like a calmer like just it's a good environment and it just it always just like mentally reset you when you hear the music so yeah. well, that's nice yeah, I, I was all for it <laughs> i also think that when people come on even when they're telling like hellacious stories they are still alive at the end of the story <laughs> and you know right, like, exactly and, and it's helpful because you're like okay so they went through this really bad thing like they are some of my favorite things like the after darks when you start listening it's like watching titanic like you forget in the middle that the boat's gonna sink you know, right. and and I think when you're listening to them, you can forget that their boat's not sinking like this person's on here to tell their complete story. And, and even though how it started was terrible and what happened in the middle was sometimes insane at the end, they are normally here to say, like, well, my A1C 6.1 now and I'm doing so much better. And like, here's the things I've learned. And I, I, yeah. I find that really helpful. And exactly. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I find too. it I find it helpful. Like, I don't I don't have diabetes, and I listen to these mm -hmm. people, and I'm like, wow, like life is possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. So, uh -huh. uh, well, that's really cool, man. I'm 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 so happy. I have a couple of questions yeah. before we move because if we move forward, I'm going to lose my questions. Sure. Um, tools for your anxiety. You learned things you said to make it better. Can you describe what your anxiety is like first, and then tell me what you did to help it? Well, I'm an overactive internal dialogue that's for sure and it's usually negative uh, a lot of it is stemming from like a fear of failure and so 
I don't really have a good answer for that one. That's that's just there. It's always been there. Uh, I just I work to like <laughs> try not to act out that those sort of things. You know, like it's been a good factor in my life. It's made me successful at a lot of things because I don't ultimately I don't want to fail. Like I used to be a sports guy too, and I remember like uh, like before baseball games. Like if I was pitching, I would just throw up before every game. You yeah. know, or everything I've ever done, it's been like that. Like I put a ridiculous amount of pressure on myself, and it leads to good things, but it's you know, it takes a toll on your health. Sure. And ironically, we know that like nothing is ever certain with uh, with type one. But when I was talking to my endo about like, how does this happen to me? Like as an adult and they were like, well, you know, a lot of people have the genetic markers and there's some like environmental stimuli that triggers it. And in my case, they said it was probably like the prolonged stress from the work in the school. And so I think it's almost like sometimes a, a life lesson, like, all right, well, I can't keep doing that. Cause like, look what can happen. And so I think behavioral or like uh structural things like i said like avoiding like the news or like triggers of things that i know set me off is really helpful i think the meditation group that i'm a part of has helped me quite a bit i'm terrible at meditating but like it, it helps even just to put down the phone and try to quiet the mind sometimes or just accept it i honestly feel like the best when i'm doing stuff for other people so like when i'm volunteering or teaching i'm like kind of out of my own head so like the more things i can do to get out of my own head the better mm -hmm. and then uh a lot of different physical activities you know like i exercise every day i try to box i try to golf but like when i'm actively engaged in something like that it's almost like something you know once i'm into it my brain can sort of you know ignore the uh pretty persistent negative thoughts you know like i was on all sorts of ssris for years and stuff but i hated the side effects uh, I never really felt better anyway. And so I just kind of stopped that stuff. So I don't really have great no. answers, but I, I tried. And also it's like what I guess they teach us as, you know, as occupational therapists is also a lot of like our, our thoughts are a result of just what we're actually doing. So like, it doesn't have to be like a mindful thing all the time. Sometimes it can be just the way you structure your routine that helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, I think it's very helpful the way you explained it. So don't apologize, please. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I um, I'm in, I'm just interested in anxiety because of inflammation, and oh, yeah. and I wonder that that's kind of the connection there. Like, I wondered if you had so you've had it your whole life. Um, the thing about the the like the kind of negative mindset, you should just marry my wife. Like, she'll beat that right out of you. <laughs> uh, because I don't know, it's pretty deeply ingrained. Yeah, I I I don't know. She's, She's pretty vicious. Uh, so uh, I I have in the past had a no mentality. Like no matter what you would ask me, I the way I describe it is I start at no and work backwards from no. Okay. So can we, should we? No, we shouldn't. It's dangerous. Huh. It's expensive. It's blah, blah, blah. And then I work backwards from it till I find a path to it that's okay. Whereas some people just go, yeah, let's do it. And then they'll get into it and find out, oh, I shouldn't have done this. I like that. Yeah, yeah, right. I, it's actually, maybe that's maybe where my son got the thing with the baseball where he was like, oh, this won't work. So no, it's over. Like he's, I'm just thinking about that in my mind. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. does make a lot of sense. Yeah. So I start everything at no. Should I make a podcast? No, I shouldn't. Why? Well, I don't know about the microphones. I don't know about this. I'm not good at that. <laughs> but Katie Kirk said I'm good at talking to people. I could probably learn about a microphone. I'll sit down and see if I can figure out the microphones. I sat down and figured out, can I afford them? I can, you know, like that. And that's sort of, but my first thought was no. I'm like, I should make a podcast. No, I shouldn't. Boom, done. Like, I'm not going to. And then I move backwards from there. The problem is when you're doing it in interpersonal situations, 
it's your kids going, can we, should we, my, it's my wife saying we need to get a, and I'm like, no, 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 no. And then financially I grew up broke. So I'm always defending money. Right. Like, so if I had $5, I would defend it. Like it was like, it was all the money in the world. Uh, because I'd grown up in a situation where nobody had $5. And so it is to me, even now in 2023, if I hear somebody say it's just $20, it almost short circuits my brain. It's your trigger. I'm like, I'm like $20. That's a lot of money. Like, like it's yeah. hard. It, it, some people don't make $5 an hour. That's a half of somebody's day. Like, like, you know, like that's how it feels to me. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. I don't know if that's negative. So my, my reason for bringing that up is, are your thoughts actually negative or are they just prag- oh, yeah. pragmatic? They're, no, they're, ne- they're oh. negative. Oh, okay. You're, you're, um, okay. But like us, you know, it's also like a physical thing. I think the physical part actually bothers me more. It's like, I get, it's just like a, like a, a full body tension. And like, it almost feels like you're, you're having a low, <laughs> a low blood sugar. You know, you're kind of just jittery. And I, I hate that. And a lot of times the exercise will, will beat that out of your you know, maybe, maybe an edible here and there to mm-hmm. help out. But, you know, it's, that's the annoying part. And and I see it now wearing a Dexcom. I literally just can watch it happen. Like driving, not, not really a stressful environment, but I think your body's a little bit geared up. So you just see your blood sugar spike. Yeah. But then you have to be, you know, negative. It can be excitement. And uh, I know that's always been a thing. It's like, sometimes people will say like, relabel the, the term anxiety to just, you know, excitement, because it really is just your body being, geared up it's just when you don't want it to happen it's very frustrating and and it has an effect on blood sugars and you can see it so it's yeah. i'm very into that stuff too it's just it's interesting i just wish i wasn't you kind of wish it didn't affect you so directly of course yeah yeah yeah. or something you could turn on and off when you needed it not yeah yeah you know because not... sometimes you consciously know that you shouldn't be anxious but your body is wound up anyway that's i would say when it's the most annoying you're like come on i'm not nervous like i why does my body have to be so so tight and rigid yeah. right now. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Meditation was my last question. That that helped even over Zoom? It's not even so much the meditation. In my case, it's the fact that it's all people with type one and we talk about whatever we're doing or experiencing like before and after. Like, like if I'm being honest, like during the meditation, I'm thinking about a million other things. Like I'm not really meditating. I'm just kind of <laughs> mm. wandering around. Um, but after we finish, it's nice to just, I think the bottom line is just that I crave knowing other people with type one okay and so again that's why the podcast is great that's what i get out of that meditation group because everybody else has it i i know that other people experience this but like when you're out and about and you just see somebody with a dexcom you you instantly want to talk to them or at yeah. least i do and you have these like great conversations because it's just it's like you're in the secret club like nobody else knows what you're dealing with at all and so when you find other people that can relate to it, it just feels so good because there's so much in common with other people. It's, it's, it's really great from that perspective, honestly, right. you know, cause I feel like I've always looked for like a community and I don't, I don't want this community, but like now that I'm a part of it, I do feel like there's just unbelievable support and connection with other people who have it. So like I've made some relationships that I never would have had otherwise. And they're, they're great. And I really, really value them. So from that perspective, it's amazing. Nice. I actually saw a woman with a Libre on her arm the other day and I felt comforted by it. Like I, I really yeah. did. Yeah. Like there, you thought, I thought like, well, I started with, oh, there's a person who understands like, exactly. you know, that I'm not even going to speak to them. doesn't matter, but they, I know they understand. And then there's the other half of my brain that makes the podcast. It's like, oh, I, I hope they're okay. 
Like, I, wa- I wonder if she really does know what she's doing. Um, right. You know, that kind of thing. I obviously didn't bother her one way or the other. But um, please just imagine if I walked up to her and I was like, hey, I slipped like a card in her pocket or something. I was like, it's a yeah. pod- podcast you should listen to. That would be weird. But no, I was really, um, I was really just. I can help you. Oh, lady, listen. How'd you like to have yeah. an A1C in the low sixes? No trouble. Right. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you in your ear for a while and then it's going to just happen. <laughs> <laughs> I can't explain to you why that's true. It just is. Don't worry about it. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. trust me. Doug told me, so it's fine. Uh, right. no, but seriously, like very like like an at peace feeling. Just watching her help somebody get out of her car, and then she got back in and went and parked her car. I never saw her that's again. Great. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's really cool. So yeah, I'm I, I'm always wondering, like, yeah, I wonder how they manage. I wonder. Yeah, I, I I see it a lot at like the gym, and I'm always thinking to myself, like, oh, I wonder what their blood sugar is at. Like, I wonder what they did to prepare for this beforehand. Like, I wonder if they're looking at their watch every two seconds like I am to make sure that they're in a good spot. Like it just, there's a million questions that you want to ask. So here's a question for you. You you spend those three years fighting through not having a diagnosis. You don't come out of that feeling like, wow, look at what I did. Like I could do anything. No, that's me listening to your story. What, What you heard was I was frustrated and someone should have helped me and they didn't do the right test. And I was doing squats in the bathroom and eating salad. None of it worked out. And I'm hearing you were out alone in the Arctic and you lived through it. Like, that's amazing. That's the healthy way to look at it. So I can like appreciate that. I probably should look at it like that. And I'm not like a negative person. I think I'm just, I think when I, when I kind of look at it, partially what I say to myself also is that. Hey, look, I just spent a ton of money and a ton of effort and time going back to school for this new career. And then it sort of fell apart right when I started. And so I've reverted back to my old life. Like, and I gave myself an uncurable condition. When you look at it from that context, it's like, gosh, like I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, now I'm honestly, now I'm fine with it. I've adjusted. It's just in that those first few months, it's sort of shocking to the system. And I was telling one of my other friends who has type one um, the other day, like I've only had it for a couple of years, but like, I honestly can't remember life without it now. Like, and so I've fully adjusted. I've, I've no problem with it now. Like it just is my life. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm content. It's just that initial transition I think was negative at first, but now I feel fine. It's just, it's wild yeah. how much your perspective changes once this is your day to day, because you're so consumed by it that like, I just, I can't even remember like sitting you know, what's funny is I'm thinking back on it. Like before I got that initial, like when I went for that urine test back when I was still a therapist, I remember that like the day before I, I went there, like my dinner for some reason was like a bacon, egg and cheese, full flavored, like Gatorade and like two chocolate chip muffins. So I'm like, of course my blood sugar is going to be out of control, but like <laughs> I can't even imagine eating that stuff without having a concern afterwards. It just, yeah. it, it seems like a different lifetime entirely. Right. It's also hard to hear you talk about it now and realize like I have a I have a modicum of guilt when I hear you say that because I I don't eat very much. I couldn't eat that much food if you paid me probably. But <laughs> um but if I ate it, my blood sugar wouldn't go up that much. I know. It's it I yeah. actually that will never not shock me. It's it's funny cuz like even around like my family now like we'll eat like a big dinner or something and I'll I'll eat whatever. But well, like I'll make them test their blood sugar. And I'm like, um, I just can't, it blows my mind how well the human body normally works. Like the fact yeah. that a pancreas can actually process all of the stuff that we throw in it blows my mind. 
Yeah. Well, for as long as it can. And yeah. then <laughs> yeah, then one day for a lot of people, I mean, if you look at the numbers type two, like eventually, I mean, we are living long enough and eating foods that are so processed mm-hmm. that it, it's really taking a toll on people. You know, it's, oh, uh, yeah. it's crazy. You ever watch like one of those, like uh, YouTube, like, can I finish this meal challenge or whatever? And they're eating something that's like the size of the whole table. And I'm thinking like, how does their body eat, process this? It's just, how does this work? I was at lunch with my family yesterday and I got a glass of water and everyone else drank two glasses. And I was stunned by that. I was like, how do they get so much liquid in? <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Two glasses. I, I swear that's partially why I don't understand beer drinking. Well, because it's the volume. Yeah, the sheer volume of it. I don't, I don't, like, where does it go? I don't yeah. get it. <laughs> like, I, it's, I can't do it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big baby. I, I, I definitely can't do it. Uh, I'm going through your notes here. Do you have actual depression? Oh, yeah. I was diagnosed with depression like when I was 18 and never went away. Okay. And, and you're not taking SSRIs now, though? No, I'm, di- I'm, I'm prescribed them, but I don't, I don't take them. I don't like them. They just make me feel lazy, lackadaisical. They make me worse, worse at the gym. Um, it doesn't help my anxiety, so I just don't take them. I, I've tried like everyone. They also give me stomach issues. Um, but yeah, I, ever since I was 18, I was prescribed. You know, We went through Paxil, Lexapro, basically every, every brand you could try, and they all had different side effects. They all didn't really alleviate the anxiety. And so I, you know, I was seeing a therapist for a while, too, and uh, I didn't. I didn't get a ton out of it, but more or less, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I don't want to project like a, a negative image. I just, I think I just think negatively more so than I project like a negative uh, demeanor. Are you depressed or did your parents tell you were depressed? That's what the psychologist told me. Yeah. But I think different? I was, you- I mean, this all started when I was, you know, like I didn't, I was very, very quiet. I was a good athlete growing up, but I was very, very quiet and introverted. And like I said, I always had a fear of failure. I was always, you know, making myself sick by how much I worried about stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I didn't really have a plan for the future at the time, you know, going into college. And so that's where it got sort of diagnosed. But I do okay. definitely feel uh, depressed or depressive symptoms. In your family, is there more depression or autoimmune? Um, so my cousin uh, has type 1. Depression? I don't. I don't know. I think. I think that's a harder one to to know. Like some people maybe stay there depressed, like like we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't really have like nobody that I'm aware of is like uh, consistently going to therapy or like on SSRIs or other medications or things like that for depression. I'm sure people okay. have depressive episodes and stuff, but I don't yeah. think too much clinical depression. Do you see anybody with your personality? Yeah, I'm just like my mom. Your mom. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're just, you know, she was a labor and delivery nurse. She's like a very empathetic, caring person. I think that a lot of that stems into it. You know, we're just worried about like what other people are feeling or thinking. And she's a, she's a thinker as well, but you know, she's the best. It's just, she tends to get anxious and depressed sometimes. Got you. All right. So Doug, you're managing MDI for how long after they finally decide you have diabetes? Um, <laughs> how long are you, how long are you doing uh, just multiple daily injections? What basal insulin are you using? I was, uh, I was doing MDI for maybe three months. And then again, thanks to your podcast, actually, that sort of was what prompted me to move from MDI to like a pump as, uh, I reached out to integrated and I didn't get to work with Jenny, but I worked with, uh, Catherine and she mm-hmm. kind of just taught me like, I, at the time, you know, I was very sensitive cause I was still honeymooning. Um, 
And so I was just going low and I was afraid to do anything. And that's where we started to talk about like, well, if you're not injecting the basil in particular every day, it's like you have a little bit more flexibility to play with, to give and take when you don't need it and when you do. And so I, I would say it was probably three months that I was on basil and it was, uh, I'm trying to even think. I got onto Traceba, but like my insurance didn't cover that. So it was like a trial. I was on what everyone was before that. And we were, so we were playing around with like the dosages because I tended to process it pretty quick. So I was doing like two injections a day, like one in the morning, mm -hmm. one in the evening, because the, you know, the peak wasn't consistent for me. And then I was doing Humalog at the time uh, with the InPen. And okay. that was nice because at the time I really liked the, uh, you know, the half unit increments and stuff. That was very helpful when I was yeah. honeymooning and didn't take much insulin. When I first started, it was like the progression was like six units of basil a day and, and no mealtime insulin. And then it was like eight or 10 basil. And then like they, my endo, I was not happy with, like, it was just kind of like a base, Hey, take two units for, for each meal. That was way too much at the time. So that's where I started to go to integrated rather than my, my endo. Cause I just, I asked a lot of questions, but I wasn't getting good answers. And I was just annoyed because <laughs> I knew there was, I was listening to the podcast at the time. So I was like, well, I'm not getting the detailed information that I would get, you know, from somebody who was more suited for this sort of thinking. And then eventually I, I migrated over to the, the Omnipod. So I'm on the Omnipod five now in the Dexcom and okay. pretty happy with it. Honestly, it really so, does. Like, it's amazing to think all of like the little, I'm constantly checking and I'm constantly correcting and I'm just on top of it because I like it to be in a good spot because like you've talked about a million times, like when it starts trending in the wrong direction, it's just harder and it's just more of a headache. So you might as well just stay ahead of it. And uh, comparing the ease of doing that with a pump and just plopping it into the little, the little app versus going to take a shot every time I want to correct or something, it's just, I, I'm still <laughs> just completely grateful for how much better it is. Yeah. I just want to, ask you a quick question here it's like a business thing you got an omnipod because you heard about it here yes i did but you didn't use my link you just told your doctor right i think it was before the five was like on i think i had just heard your um you did that like three-part mini series with whoever it was from i think it was actually mm -hmm. the barbara davis center right yes from which uh is, with Kat, kari which is funny because I actually, I'm in a study out there, not with her, but I go to Colorado every month for a different type one study. Wow. But yeah, it was, I did not use your link because it went through my, um, we use uh, OptumRx, which is like that mail-in pharmacy. So it just went sure directly enough. from there. Yes. That's all, Doug. I just, you know, sometimes, and this isn't directed at Omnipod, but all the people who advertise, sometimes they forget. I do the hard work and then you go into the doctor's <laughs> office and get yourself a new right. so-and-so right. thing. And then later at the end of the year, they go, I don't know. I don't see the clicks. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's because they all like, go to the doctor and get it. I need like affiliate analytics to like somehow prove that like that's how the information got shared, which it is, which mm. is true. I know what I do. Don't worry, Doug. I just okay. like other people to hear it sometimes. And I was like, <laughs> Doug's a good person to tell me what happened here because I think I know what happened. But it was through that. It was through that for sure. Because yeah. I don't, I would never use, personally, I would never use a pump with like a tubing because I'm just really, really active and I just don't want that. I want to be clear. A lot of companies, including Omnipod, understand what I call like an umbrella effect. Actually, I think that's what they call it in marketing. It's not just okay. what I call it. But it's, uh, there are some people who don't get it. Like, you know, when you're in a doctor's office and someone says, I need a blank, you say, oh, do you have the blank? Because you heard it here. 
and somebody's had a good experience with it or something, and then technically I have sold a whatever, and nobody knows, and then... I mean, because if you think about it, like, if you you didn't have any access to the podcast or other information, like, you're going to the doctor, you don't really even barely know what type one is. Like, I don't think there's any way you would know what brand of pump task for you just be like no. yeah i need what they give you <laughs> yeah yeah i i i need a pump yeah you can hear it in people's voices by the way how many people say oh i got the pump like right. it's a magical entity you, you know um it's the pump it's not the pump there's yeah. four of them well, it's funny we were talking yeah. about this now because i'm thinking about it i remember my end of saying that i was the first person on omnipod that she had which i was surprised at because it's not a small office it's a big office yeah I was like, what? It just, I really, <laughs> I really was frustrated with my endo. Not because like th- they were friendly, but they just didn't have like the knowledge. I, it was shocking. Like, I swear I could go there tomorrow and do a much better job than them in terms of like helping people understand what their options are, what they might want to do, where to go for like more help. Like it just, I, I think mine said that they mostly deal with type two and, and that was why, but still like you're an endo, you should know how to give people proper information when they're just starting out on their type one journey. I had a medical person tell me one time, if you had access to a prescription pad, I'd let you be my endocrinologist. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I was like, that's lovely. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but uh, sad state of affairs. Uh, also, uh, you know, it's funny. Maybe it's not their fault. Meaning that the delivery system for their information I have it. They don't have it. Like I have the delivery system that does all the things that you've described over the last hour. Yeah. Um, they don't have access to that. They also have a brain to become a doctor. I don't have that. Like if you sent me to medical school, I would sit there and go, Oh my God, I hate this. Get me out of here. The, yeah. You know, and, and I would fail miserably at it and they don't have the, I don't know. I was going to say the gift of gab, but it makes me sound like it's 1940, <laughs> but it's, it's difficult to have information and be able to communicate it in a way that's interesting to listen to, acceptable by the person hearing it. It's dumb luck. Like, yeah, it's not lost on me that the first 10 minutes of this episode are me telling you a story, telling all of you a story about a person you don't know and a thing you haven't been involved in that you probably <laughs> don't care about. And yet you were probably listening to it and going, oh, that was really interesting. Yeah, like, I, I don't know why I'm good at that, Doug. Like, I didn't go to school to learn how to tell a story. I don't well, I think like, it's like, you know, what I mean? communication skills. And and that's something that doctors are taught. I mean, I work for a hospital system. I know, like, I was actually part of like the, like, I was on the education team previously. And like, I know that these doctors are, are taught how to pull information from patients or how to give them like the lay of the land. So I, I don't understand I know that also like they have restraints, you know, like they have a medical system that they're within the confines of where they have a certain amount of time with each person. But like, I just think that it, there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to like empathize a little more or say like, okay, what you're coming into is a new world. And there's a lot that you're going to need to learn. And we're not going to cover it all right now, but like, let's give you some basics that are going to keep you safe and some parameters that are actually reasonable for your first few weeks or months. And, and they'll have a plan to like speak with you down the road as you get more familiar and comfortable. Like the fact that none of that is done is a very large gap because like it might have some like insulin is it's just so much stronger than a typical oral medication or really anything else you're going to give somebody. And so when you're giving somebody that something that strong, I think that it warrants 
like a diversion from the, the regular way that they administer information to patients. No, 100%. I just think that the rate limiting factor is humans and that it's not yeah. that they're limited. It's that, you know, just because when you're 18, you decide, like, I'm going to be a doctor, it doesn't mean you're a good communicator or it doesn't mean that even when they teach you in school how to communicate with people that you're going to come off not like a robot or, you know, that you're even going to understand the thing you're telling people about. I don't even know how to explain to you. Like, when I really start talking about like if we got on here at the beginning of this episode and you just say you cornered me and you you said, Scott, just tell me everything you know about diabetes. I don't want to talk. Mm-hmm. I I would start slow because as I try to access what I understand about diabetes intellectually, it's not easy. But if I can, as I'm talking, I go away in my head. I don't know another way to say that. And I have access to my knowledge And I almost, it's like a faucet, right? I can turn it on and get it flowing in a way that I'm not sitting there consciously thinking, go get this thought and hand it to Doug. And now that you've spoken about basil, move to this. Like, I don't think, I don't think that way. Like I just open up the diabetes faucet and I go, even if you go back and listen to me, tell the story about Cole, I made a decision that I was going to tell that story. And then I, I, I get semi unconscious and tell the story. Like, I don't know. another. I don't know another way to put it like those details and that timeline. They're all right. But if you ask me right now to sit down and write it out, I would struggle to, to write it out. Uh, And so I don't, you know, anyway, that's not a thing you can do in a 15 minute doctor's appointment is what I'm trying to say. No, yeah. it also, it also doesn't make it inconscionable that they let you out of there without the information you need. Yeah. I mean, I think I've heard you say this, like, they basically want you to not buy, right? And so yeah. they give you like a very, I don't know, like just safe or, you know, like not aggressive guidelines or information. And then mm-hmm. it's kind of on you to figure it out from there. And that's fine. It's just, I I definitely think that, like you said, like if you're in there, you could give better information to patients right off the bat. And I think I could too. And I, I actually would love to do that some days to at least volunteer in the space. I try to, I try to just help out as much as I can because I just think that a lot of people don't no. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's almost sometimes kind of to your point about like how to provide the information. Sometimes it's easier when somebody has a particular question or like when you know they're in a certain part of the journey rather than just like blurting out all the information. It's like, all right, right. what are you actually going to do when you go home? Like, how are you going to navigate tomorrow? And then we figure it out together. And like, that's where they gain all the information about exactly how to do that. It, it's also difficult to, you don't realize that when people come to you with questions, they often don't really know what they're asking you. Right. And when they try to give you examples of what's going wrong in their life, they're sometimes the worst people to ask. So they start leading you down these paths of stories. And you're like, this is meaningless. Like, I I don't need this information. Like, is this what you're (laughs) focused on? No wonder you can't get your basil right. Like, this is what you're thinking about. Right. And and they, they just don't know. And I'll tell you the other thing, the one thing I think I have that is maybe sorely lacking in this time period is I know what I know. I am comfortable that I know it. And I don't apologize for saying it. And so uh, not that I'm saying some horrible things that are hurtful, but uh, how do I mean this? People spend so much time apologizing for what they're saying, just in case it's offending you, 
they never really fully with a full throat say what they mean. They're always holding back and giving you half of things. It's like, well, I don't want to be too, you know, and then meanwhile, all the notes I get are, thank you for making an honest podcast. Thank you for speaking about this honestly, like that kind of stuff. Instead of just going, well, I don't know, like you may feel this way, but some people don't. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's okay (laughs) if you don't. And like, no, it's not. It's not okay. Like I listen between you and me and everyone listening if a seven and a half A1C is the best you can do, I think that's terrific. But you can't sit there and pretend that you're done and that this is okay. Right. It's not. I don't care what the ADA says about a seven A1C. Um, I don't normally say that out loud. That's too high. Mm-hmm. Like, well, like you, you know, like if if you have to be there for a year while you figure it out, there's no shame in that game at all. But don't get the seven and a half. Like, oh, that's close enough to seven. I'm good. We need people like with your attitude because I struggle with that. Like it's hard not to be sort of too nice in a way and just be like, all right, yeah. great job. You know, I think it's really good that you do push like that. So I think that's, that's really appreciated. But, and then the other thing I, that I've done is that I don't say it that directly, but I don't also hold back. I say things like don't stare at a high blood sugar. If your blood sugar is 140, correct it. Like, mm-hmm. like, don't don't live all day at 140 and go, oh, it's so close to 90. You, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's the kind of stuff that gets your A1C lower, that lowers your variability. Oh, yeah. That put, puts your insulin in the right places during the day so you're not getting super high or super low all the time. And you're still using enough insulin to get an A1C that is going to be healthy for you. Totally. Yeah. But anyway, like, a doctor is going to say, seven, great, great job. And and they, by the way, everyone, no matter what your A1C is, and I mean this, someone should be telling you you're doing a great job because it's hard and oh, yeah. you are, you are doing a great job, but let's do that job with the amount of insulin you need for your seven to be a six. And then once you figure out how to do that stable, let's see if we can't make it a yeah. five, eight or something like that. You know, no, I mean, so. kind of just to back up your point, like the kind of community that you cultivated, it, it is refreshing and sort of like. I don't want to say better, but like, it's just like, it's got, it's got more knowledge, I feel like. And it, it, it handles different situations. Like particularly I'm thinking of like the Facebook group, like the questions and answers I see there versus other type one forums. It's just, it's better information. You know, it's not like random complaining with no actual solution. It's like, all right, here's this thing happening. And then a bunch of people say, okay, here's what you can actually do. So like, I think to your point, you've created a community where People tend to do that, I think, more than elsewhere, and it actually leads to good solutions, which is ultimately what people need. So that's that's great. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was talking about this with my son the other day. Like that idea, because he's you know just into the working world, right? And like, so we're talking about some of the things he's learning and seeing, being around a lot of different people, personalities that all have a task to perform. And he's like, "There's this one guy, and he's amazing at pointing out." what's wrong and, and <laughs> I was like, a Seinfeld right? character yeah exactly right <laughs> like like the guy's just amazing at being like this is the problem and cole's like great what's the answer and i was like yes you were asking the question that very successful people ask all the time or that some leaders in major industries will tell you don't come to me with a problem come to me with a solution right y- you know come to me and say hey i noticed that this is wrong and here's what i think we can do to fix it but when you're personality leads you to, oh my God, oh my God, it's so wrong. So I'm having this conversation with my son, my brother's with us. 
And he goes, we fired a guy for that. And I was like, what? He goes, he did great work. And I was like, right. He goes, but it was exhausting to be around him. And I was, <laughs> I'm like, he's like, he just ran around yelling, like, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. And he's like, and then eventually he'd stop the sky from falling. And we kept saying to him, we know it's falling. Can you just fix it more quietly? Yeah. And eventually he said, he said it was such a distraction. They moved him out of the, I think, I think they moved him to another part of the business. I don't think they fired him, but. Oh, I can understand that for sure. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's fascinating. And, and I think that I bring that up because I think that people with diabetes or any health issues can find themselves in that situation. Yeah. You know, this hurts. This happens when I do this, you know, my blood sugar spikes every time I blah, blah, blah. Okay. Some people's blood sugars don't spike when that happens. It is not because they have a magically better kind of diabetes than you do. Right. Like they know how to use their insulin. They understand the impact of that food. Like that's what they're doing that you don't do. Don't just tell me, oh gosh, that's just diabetes. I guess I die sooner than everybody else. Like that's not the answer. And I, I still, I got a note from somebody the other day, it was online, from a person who listens to this podcast. And they were extolling the podcast and then spent a paragraph talking about how they're a brittle diabetic. And I'm like, oh my God, like you listen to me and you still think that? Well, you know, it's funny you say that. I thought I would have said I was brittle in the beginning too. Uh, Because that's like what my doctor said. But really what it was, I was just honeymooning and I was very sensitive to insulin. It's just, (laughs) yeah, so that's funny. Yeah. Um, Yeah, what a terrible world word to tell somebody. You know, you're just brittle. It just implies like, what am I falling apart? Like, I don't want hundred percent. No, yeah, man. It, it, it in my mind, it's a picture of a hundred and fifty year old rice paper, and I pick it up, and it just disintegrates in my hands. Oh, that's what I am. I'm right. that delicate. <laughs> Terrific. There is yeah, a period. Well, I mean, I definitely felt that. I guess me being like newer diagnosed, I try not to like judge anybody else because I'm like, I know like the mental burden of it, and so like I can only imagine like a lifetime of it. And so, mm-hmm. like, sometimes I feel like some people just need to vent. And I'm like, all right, that's completely understandable because it's exhausting. Like, you just wish you could take a break. But, yeah, certain things, like, when it's actually just not brittle, you maybe just don't understand how to do certain things. That's, like, I think to your point, like, a few minutes ago, like, that's where it, it helps to sort of, like, stop them from allowing to keep saying that and be like, well, let's just actually try to fix this. Because I don't I don't want you to think that you're brittle because that can lead you to doing, to doing less and then feeling worse about yourself and then having a, a tougher time. So, like, let's... Let's actually figure out what's going on in this particular case and try to help it. Yeah. Yeah. That all makes sense. I know some of you have been told you're brittle. And I know some of you see your blood sugars jumping all over the place. And that's what you think. Oh, look, I'm brittle. I, yeah. you know, a little bit this way, I break a little bit that way. The number breaks, et cetera. That's just you not using insulin well. I mean, yeah, listen, I mean somebody might be brittle. You understand, Doug, but overwhelmingly, that is not the situation. Oh, it's also like sometimes it's Dexcom, sometimes it's changing. Like, for example, I think it's easy to mistake thinking you're brittle. I, I, I struggle with this. Let's say you're sitting around working for a couple hours and your blood sugar is at 150. You get up a lot of times, you're taking a couple of steps, your blood sugar is dropping to 120, 110 in two seconds. Mm-hmm. You might think that you're brittle if that's the case, but really, it's just you've had no circulation circulation like, you know insulin is just that's not going to do anything when you're sitting around so there's some things that are just knowledge based i think and yep. could be mistaken for a brittle diagnosis or it could even be you know maybe your dexcom is acting up and like the numbers are jumping and you think that actually means your blood sugar is jumping like there's a whole variety of things that 
you know, could lead to a, a label. And uh, maybe sometimes it's not good. I don't know if I love you because you sound like a friend of mine, but I was I had teed up in my head before you said that. Um, I said to myself, I'm going to explain to people like, what if you're dehydrated and you put a bunch of insulin in your blood sugar doesn't move and then you mindlessly chug a water eventually and all of a sudden your blood sugar starts falling. You say, oh my God, look, <laughs> yeah. I'm brittle. I sat around yeah. all day. Yeah. I gave myself all this insulin. Nothing happened. And then I, for no reason at all, because you're not going to see the water is like the the, the connection there. You right. don't know enough about it. But that would lead somebody to say, oh, I'm so brittle. Yeah, like, totally. All this insulin didn't do anything. And then all of a sudden later, I, you know, the insulin was out of my body. It wasn't out of your body. It's sitting in there, not circulating because you're dehydrated. And then you basically reanimated it with the water and like, woo, here we go. Totally. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, other examples like driving, even if you're driving around your neighborhood, like for me, there must just be a minor cortisol, cortisol spike when I'm driving because I'm locked in and I'm paying attention. And so like mm -hmm. I'll take a bunch of insulin and it seems like it has no effect. Once I get wherever I'm going, my blood sugar is going to tank. That doesn't mean I'm brittle. It just in that particular case, it means that like my nervous system isn't all amped up anymore. So like now I'm sort of functioning like I normally would be. Same might apply for like a date. You know, you're all excited to get there and you're doing your thing at the, on the date and your blood sugar is maybe high. And as soon as you go home and you relax, it's like your blood sugar tanks. Like so, there's like sometimes environmental things that you're doing and your body may be doing things that you just don't realize that are impacting your blood sugar. But it does not mean that there's anything wrong or you, you even necessarily did anything wrong. It's just like, sometimes this is the way things work. hundred percent. That's exactly right. All right, Doug, you're amazing. Uh, is there anything we have not talked about that we should have? The only thing I was going to say is I, well, I feel like most of the people on your podcast are not single, especially the guys. Like I've heard most of the guys being like married or girlfriends, or whatever. Mm -hmm. The one thing I would say is that I do find dating hard, um, as with this, because the, you know, if you think about it, like a lot of times the setting for a date is like dinner. And so you're sitting there, you're getting foods that you may not normally eat. The hardest struggle that I've had with all of this is like staying mentally present with the other person when my blood sugar is going out of control because I'm mm -hmm. not really prepared. So I don't know where I'm going with that. I just feel for anybody else who's, who's dealing with that because there's been times that like I've been on a date and again, like I like to have a really strict under control blood sugar. And so, you know, whether you like it or not, sometimes you're out at dinner and your blood sugar is just not acting the way that you want because you're you're a little bit stressed or excited. You're eating something you don't normally have, and you're sitting there with a 220 blood sugar, trying to not let that aggravate the hell out of you while being attentive and actually being present with the person that's across the table from you. And I feel like that can be very hard. Like I've had some some situations where it just hasn't been possible for me to be be present with the person, and I've probably missed out on opportunities because of that. And that's been really frustrating and so there's ways around it obviously you can go for a walk or you don't have to go to dinner it's just there are certain circumstances that i feel like you have to navigate in a unique way until i guess until you establish something with somebody so they can understand it because the other piece of that is that in dating i've not really met anybody who understood what type one was they all think it's type two and so like the amount of granularity and stuff that i have have to pay attention to is is foreign to them so that's been tough. And then, yeah, it's always funny. Like they call me like the beeping guy, you know, cause I always got like alarms going off or like things beeping or whatever. So like, what is this? But there's just different elements that I think you have to address as somebody with type one who is like dating and not really with an established partner that I think are unique. And, right. you know, anything that people can do to sort of 
support each other with that or stay on top of it, I think it, it just helps because it's a little tricky. Right. You know, I, I take your point. You're, you don't know the person yet and they don't understand anything about your type one and you're in an awkward situation and any little weirdness might make a new person <laughs> go, ah, I'm not up for this. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and if you start staring out in the space because you're thinking I am going to get low, I'm about to get low. I don't want to get low. Like, like, you uh -huh. know, or, or, or whatever. Yeah. And then if you get like, if you think like, oh, this is going well, like we might head back home. Like you get excited. Now you need a bunch of insulin. Right. Like it's, yeah, yeah. Or they're like, you know, let's take a walk after you're like, well, I've got five units of insulin in me. I don't know if that's a great idea for me right now. Like little, little stupid things like that definitely tend to, to raise their head, but it's mm -hmm. not a huge deal. It's just, yeah. But otherwise I would just say, like I said, I, I've completely adjusted type one. I, I don't like it, but I do find it fascinating and I like contributing to the space. So I want to help out as much as I possibly can. Like I'm doing that study. I'm trying to like, I'm actually going to try to start like a business where I can help educate people. Like I joined ADCES to try to become an educator myself eventually mm -hmm. because I, I feel like I've always liked teaching people. I have a lot of empathy and I can understand more so than it with any other condition, other people who have type one, like what they're going through. Yeah. But I also really, I really appreciate what you're doing with the type two community too, because one of the interesting things that I've seen, I'm sure you've seen this as well, but like, I, I try to uh, shut this off in myself as much as possible, but I, I do feel it. And it's like, there's sort of like a, it's not looking down, but like when you hear people complaining about type two, there's like a, there's a piece of you deep down. that's like, you don't have anything to worry about. Like, stop whining. Like your pancreas works. But I think we have to get over that because it, it's an equally like dangerous condition if you don't treat it you know it leads to the same complications it's not as dangerous in the short term but long term it has just as many complications and so you know i guess just for anybody with type one like it's we have to try to do our best not to like look down upon any other condition just because they don't require insulin to survive you know like it's i, I wish they had different names i think is where i'm going with this because i think both both groups tend to get a little bit defensive when you know they're lumped in with the other one so it's just something that i think i'm, I'm grateful that you're doing the type two stuff because getting those people out there and, and hearing their stories and also for people with type one that may not realize that people with type two sometimes do use insulin like i think that's like a, a good bridge to understanding the conditions as well and what they go through right. it's funny how rigid people can be because I get about once a month, somebody on the Facebook group will say, I thought this group was for type one diabetes. And I was like, well, that's for everybody with diabetes. And they'll say, well, it's called juice box podcast type one diabetes. Uh, now, Doug, I don't have time to explain to these people <laughs> that I had to call my podcast juice box podcast type one diabetes so that search terms would work out when people search for a type one diabetes podcast. Right. So I'm like, yeah, it's just a name. It's meaningless. Like, it doesn't matter. Well, it's, it says it's for type one. I'm like, oh, my God, like, yeah. you must be tortured <laughs> in your life. Like, it, it, it's for type one. And it turns out that people with type two diabetes, it's all the same. Like, like it's, you know, like it, yeah. once you're using insulin, it doesn't matter if you're type two or type one. The rules are all just kind of apply the same. Right. And, you know, and if you're pre-diabetic, you could come in and learn a lot about I don't know, eating food in a certain order to help lessen your spikes. Or maybe you could learn about a, a different medication that people are using that is helping. Or, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm going to move more conversations towards 
semaglutide, you know, because yeah, like what I'm seeing it do for people there. Like, I, like we're going to keep bringing it in. I just interviewed a woman yesterday with type one is using Ozempic at the same time. And it significantly decreases her insulin needs. That's amazing. Yeah. So I'm like, right. And she lost weight on top of all that. Like, yay. You know what I mean? And so like, I'm just like, I, I sit back and I think, how do you not see the bigger picture? What do you care what they have? If the information here is helping them right on. Well, like, and by a- the way, it's such a small fraction. I have, like you said it earlier, I didn't want to like agree with you because I'd sound like a douchebag, but I have done a really good job of setting up a space that really helps people. Yeah. yeah you know, and, um, but every once in a while you'll hear one of those voices and you have to go explain it to them and say, look, you know what? It's cool. Like just chill out. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I think I get it. Cause at the end of the day, I think managing type one on a day-to-day basis is a lot harder because you have more granular decisions. And you're taking insulin. And so, but at the end, but the bottom line is that we type one and type two need good blood sugar management. Otherwise there's complications. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's a pretty like important central meeting point. If you put me in the, in the position of defending a type two in this conversation, I could easily tell you a ton of things that would make you go, oh, you're right. It is hard. Yeah. It's just, it's just not hard. Like your thing is hard. It's just, well, I mean, I guess having managed it for a bunch of years, like I kind of know what's involved. It's just, I think it's maybe not as scary. Mm -hmm. It depends on insulin. I mean, insulin, I think is the thing. It's like, I feel like a type one person can say like, well, I make one wrong decision and I'm, you know, this could not end well today. Whereas like type two, it's like long-term mostly depending on what they're taking. I also find myself in between a thought because I am a, I am a personal responsibility person. Like in my thinking, like I do think mm-hmm. you have personal responsibility for your decisions, and your actions. I also think that there are things that can happen inside your brain and your body that stop you from being able to make the decisions that you would make if you weren't being stopped. Like, you know, I mean, you talked about anxiety. Anxiety is a great example. Like you, you have reactions to things because of your anxiety that if I just let your conscious mind decide, it wouldn't do those things. And right. when you see that, how hard your hunger was impacted, right? And so how how is it not the same for a type two person who maybe just can't stop, you know, eating a certain thing that they wish they could stop eating, as an example? Yeah. Or how is it not the same thing if someone's knee is hurt and they need to go for a walk, but they can't because when they go for a walk, their knee swells up and it hurts? Right. Like there might be different reasons, but it doesn't matter. Yes. I think in the end, if everyone could just remember that the hardest thing you've ever done is the hardest thing you've ever done and stop judging your hard thing against somebody else's hard thing, what you would see is that people all have issues just because one of them is cancer and another one is, I don't know, a sore back doesn't mean that the person with a sore back is not suffering. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things that I would suggest for like anybody type one, that's maybe a little bit resentful of type two is like, you're, you're helping our community, right? Like all the information has really helped people with type one live a better life. And like that same information is going to help people with type two live a better life. And there's way more people with type two. So like, why wouldn't you want as many people to get help as possible? So like, I just think getting it in front of type two is opening a gigantic new door that could dramatically help so many people so yeah it's like we how could you not want people to get good information yeah good information is good information i don't care where it comes from and that's that 
Like, to me, that's the answer. You, you know, in the beginning, I took stuff from people who were like, well, you don't have diabetes. I can't listen to you talk about it. I was like, well, I know more about it than you do. So maybe you should. You, like, what do you care that I don't have it? Like, it it's fast. Yeah. It's fascinating. I, you, you know, you go buy a new car and a guy shows you how to drive the car. And then he goes and gets in a different car and goes home. He doesn't have your car. <laughs> you don't go, but you don't drive a Toyota. You're in a Honda. What are you telling me about Toyotas for? You go, okay, that's fine. The guy's job is to tell me about the car. Must be the he might be good, he might be good at. It. <laughs> that's it, a good analogy. It's just it's ridiculous. Like, oh, you yeah. don't have, your doctor doesn't have diabetes. They're doing a terrible job of explaining it to you. Like, you know, I don't know. Read a review of the podcast and say <laughs> I'd like to feel like that one day. Like, like, totally. like yeah, I, I, Doug, please. We had a nice conversation. Let's not get me upset. Okay. So <laughs> well, you're doing a great job. So thanks for the stuff that you're doing. And I hope you keep it up, you know, permanently. Uh, I have no plans on stopping. So don't worry Good. about that. Right. That's great. I'll tell you, I'll share something with you that only you and I will know for like at least six months. I wanted to make my next series with Jenny, like a next gen pro tip series, because I think that Jenny and I are just better at talking about it than we were in the past. And so I thought about like, well, let's add to the pro tip series. And then I'm like, well, why don't we just make it more conversational and dig deeper into like have more conversations about topics instead of anyway, so that was my idea. But I might slide that idea back a little bit on my calendar to do a um, like a grand rounds series for doctors. Oh, that's a really cool idea. Why don't Jenny and I explain to a doctor or a person in medical school what's going to happen and what appropriate responses are and what people really need to know versus what you're telling them. And I was like, that's fantastic. That would be an unbelievable idea. That is on the whiteboard. And now that it's on the whiteboard, it has to happen. Please do it. Yes. A lot of people would benefit from that. So I have to finish the myth, the myth busters. I really can't say myth. I have to finish (laughs) the myth busters. Uh, Then I'm going to go to grand rounds then I think I might slip in defining celiac in the middle there. Then I'm going to go oh. next gen pro tips. And then after that, I think I'm going to do supplements and nutrition. So that should keep me going for about three more years, Doug. So don't worry. I'm good. That's all really good stuff too. So can yeah. you, uh, can you speed those along? So yeah, I'll just, I'll stop living and I'll, I'll start recording <laughs> 24 hours. A day. Thank you. Good. All right. <laughs> Told. Thanks Doug. Oh, hold on one second for me. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. A huge thanks to the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter. For sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Learn more and get started today at contournext.com slash juicebox. If you're not already subscribed or following in your favorite audio app, please take the time now to do that. It really helps the show. And get those automatic downloads set up so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. The episode you just heard was professionally edited by Wrong Way Recording, wrongwayrecording.com.